0: Welcome to the Pinelander podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. This is Paul Favor. I am not here with my ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. He's out on a special reconnaissance. I will be able to talk to him a little bit later, uh, hopefully in the year when he comes back uh, un, unscathed, unkilled. Uh, but today we have uh, back by uh, popular demand, we have uh, Patrick O'Kelly. I'm going to welcome you to the po- podcast today, Patrick.
1: Howdy. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, and uh, something we haven't talked about in a while, and we need to come back to our roots is uh, irregular warfare, unconventional warfare, those types of things. Right. A, lo- a lot of our listeners uh, and um, you know people that we know they're um, they're, they're of the special forces uh, regiment community, and so this is really the bread and butter uh, of what we have, uh, what we do, and uh, and we've done a lot of different things and know, in the history of SF, but, you know, that is really where we came from, uh, and there's a big movement in the regiment to go back to the roots, and uh, so we were just, uh, as we were talking, uh, Pat, about, uh, you know, getting back to the roots, uh, that that topic that uh, you really know a lot about, and that is really the unconventional warfare that was going on Uh, in the Carolinas during the Revolution. And uh, so uh, I'm glad that we were able to, you know, uh, lasso you, get you uh, sat down for about at least an hour, hopefully, and uh, talk about that. And so for those that haven't uh, uh, heard of Patrick O'Kelly before, uh, he's the author of a few books uh, within the blacksmith family. Uh, First, Be Cool and Do Mischief. Uh, This is Francis Marion's orderly book, from the Revolutionary War. He's also the author of Triple Canopy, which is subtitled A Warrior's Journey from Grenada to Iraq. And that's really uh, picks up on his career from the 82nd to the Ranger Battalion and to the Special Forces uh, in um, Grenada, the invasion of, and then, of course, Desert Storm. And then, uh, lastly, I would be remiss without mentioning his other. Uh, four uh, book uh, series on nothing but blood and slaughter. It's a great title and uh, (laughs) uh, all about Francis Marion and uh, his, uh, you know, gallivanting around winning, winning the war in the Carolinas. Right. But uh, so Pat, now that we have you, uh, we got some time here to talk about this. Where where are we going uh, today with uh, this topic?
1: Well, this this is uh, you know, because I I do some stuff working, you know, at Robin Sage and things like that, and there's downtime. Yeah. And this is one that actually came up when we were downtime, and I started reading. You know, that's that's my exciting life. I'm reading first person <laughs> accounts pension accounts from the guys who were in the war. Now, for those who don't know what a pension account is, after the Revolutionary War long after, they finally realized, you know what, we really ought to do something for these guys that fought at the war. They didn't have anything like like a retirement or anything back then. You just, you, you were screwed if you didn't, you know, it was it. You just fought and, you know, high-five, good power to then didn't yeah. home. Well, these old-timers, they decided, all right, we ought to give these guys some sort of pension, some sort of retirement for helping us, you know, you know create the nation. Well, what they did was they said, you got to send us your account of what you did. And so people would go to their local courthouses, they would tell them what they did, they go through an interview process, and they'd send it in. And if it got approved, they got money. Well, there are thousands of these things out there that some people have never even even slightly remotely brushed into. I mean, because first off, you got to try to read them. They're in people's handwriting that may not be the greatest writing ever. And so you have to decipher it, and then you have to figure out what are you looking at? And so what I was doing in, in Robin Sage, I was looking through all these pension accounts, and I started seeing something that was really interesting that I had never heard of before. And again, I realized I know quite a bit about the Revolutionary War in the South, in the Carolinas. In fact, I'm considered the subject matter expert by several historians.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh,
1: oh, yeah, yeah. It's like I, it, I, the, nothing but blood and slaughter books is actually every single thing that happened in the two Carolinas. It's not just Francis Murray, it's everything that happened. Right. Not 50 axis. But I kept finding new stuff. And it's like, what? And I start seeing a pattern. Like, what am I looking at? And all of a sudden the guys in the pension accounts kept referring to it as the Tory war. Now, mm. for those not familiar with history, uh, think of the two political parties. In America today, you have Republicans, you have Democrats. Well, back then, the two political parties would have been the Tories. And the uh, the Whigs, the Whigs would have been the Patriots. The Tories would be, you know, basically the British. Well, Tories were Americans who sided with the British. Now, North Carolina was not gung ho everybody in it and fight to you know, fight the revolution. North Carolina was about split half and half. Mm. And depending on where you stood in this in this state, if you said the wrong words, you'd probably be yeah. killed. In other words, you you half the state was for. The Tories and half the state were for the Patriots. And a good example is around Fayetteville, that was Tory central. I mean, you were loyalist or else. And uh, Fayetteville at that time was called Cross Creek. That's where you see Cross Creek Mall. Right Now, the pattern I started seeing was something happened when the British took over Wilmington. Now, the reason they took over Wilmington was they they decided one more time to do an invasion of North Carolina. And the reason they're invading North Carolina was way out toward the center in the West. Uh, uh, Daniel Morgan had fought and won a battle at Cowpens in yeah. South Carolina. Now, when he won that battle, man, he annihilated a third of, of General Cornwallis' army, and he took him prisoner, and they're moving them up in North Carolina. So at the same time, a bunch of backwoodsmen annihilated another third of Cornwallis' army at Kings Mountain. And the prisoners, they took them up into North Carolina. So Cornwallis was... He basically had no choice. He had to go into North Carolina to get his men back. But this is exactly what Nathaniel Green, who was a general, wanted. That was his strategy all along, was try to get Cornwallis to go into North Carolina. If you could get him into North Carolina, you could keep him away from his supply base, and you could surround him, cut him off, and kill him, and, just, and it would end the war. Hmm. Now, it worked. He suckered you know, Cornwallis into North Carolina. And what didn't quite happen was Cornwallis beat Green every chance he got, uh, but Green didn't care. His, his saying was, we fight, we get beat, we rise and fight again, because he didn't care if he got beat just as long as he kept dragging Cornwallis into North Carolina. Yeah, and a lot of those so,
0: uh, victories were very costly, if I, if I remember. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, well, yeah Cornwalls, <laughs> you know, in fact, the British Parliament said another such victory and were lost yeah. after the battle of you Guilford know, Courthouse. Because he won the Battle vote. of Course, he was outnumbered, you know, three to one, and he won. He was a great comm- officer. He's a great uh, commander, but he was always against all the odds. So, and Pat, so,
0: let me just see if I got this. Uh, yeah. Uh, the the Tory War is kind of uh, it's like a war within the war.
1: Well, what it is is Isn't I got I got to no. get to what you know, it was part of the logistics systems for Cornwallis. So as Cornwallis is being suckered into North Carolina, well, he knew he'd have to have some logistics. Base, so he sent a guy, named Major Craig, into Wilmington to capture Wilmington. Right. So the British took Wilmington, and they're going to use Wilmington as their supply base for North Carolina. What they would do is they would send supplies up the uh, Cape Fear River to about where Fayetteville was, and then get it over to Cornwallis. Well, that didn't work quite right either because uh, the, the 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 loyalists, I mean the uh, the patriots around uh, the Cape Fear were stopped it. So they they couldn't get him. So basically Cornwallis, when he did you know, finally had to leave North Carolina, he went to Wilmington and then marched from Wilmington into Virginia to Yorktown. And right. the rest is history. He was right. surrounded and captured. But wait, here's where the Tory war comes in.
0: Craig Yeah, little known in, uh, accident, not a, not a, uh not a lot is known about this portion of history.
1: No, no, it's completely like overlooked I discovered, stuff I didn't know about. Yeah. and, and how it ties into modern Warfare is amazing. I mean, I'm talking about modern special ops taxes. It's amazing what they do. So
0: we're looking now, at after – we're talking like at the fall of 1781.
1: Yeah, this where is 81. Cornwallis and, goes up.
0: He's getting his butt kicked. He's getting bottled up at Yorktown. And then, so we're talking about those months.
1: Oh, no. no this is long before – Cornwallis has just left North Carolina. And there's okay. he marched yeah. from Guilford Courthouse in March, gets down to Wilmington, restocks, resupplies – He realizes he can't go back to South Carolina because there's too much, uh, you know, too many aggressive guys like Marion and and everything in the way. So he decides to go to Yorktown. Why Yorktown? Because that had just been captured by another British force. So he said, I'll go up there because I'll be safe in Virginia. They'll never get me. Now, his base in Wilmington under Craig is told, all right, you can shut down now and you can go back to uh, Charleston. But Craig realizes what he's got. Since he had been there, he was able to recruit lots and lots and lots of loyalists, the Tories, to his side. It was Because they would come to him, they'd get resupplied, they'd get arms, ammunition, and maybe new recruits, and he'd send them out to mess with all of these Patriot militias.
0: Right, this and is a uh, job. General James Craig. You
1: no, know, well, he's, he's, uh, he's actually Major. He's not right. even a general. Right, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And, uh, he, anyway, Major Craig, he, he basically sends an idea up the chain and goes, Hey, why don't you let me stay here? Mm. I'm doing a pretty good, uh, uh, you know, I'm able to supply all of these militia units and we're able to go out and strike. Let me keep staying here. Cause I think we're going to get a big foothold here. We might be able to keep this and build up from it. And they said, okay, you can do that. Now, once they do that, here's, here's the difference between everything else that has happened so far when it good example is Cornwallis. Cornwallis, when he marched into Hillsborough, which is near Greensboro, when he marches in Hillsborough, he raises his standard and he says, come to me, loyalists, I'm here, and mm. nobody showed up. <laughs> and the reason nobody showed up, they realized you're not going to be around for long. You're going to leave and then we're screwed and we're all going to die anyway. So when are going to come to you? Well, Craig is different. Craig never left. He's like, I'm staying and I'm not going to leave. And so he built a trust with all of these militias. And all of a sudden, the loyalist militias are like, dang, we might actually be able to do something with this. Mm. And so they start building up. Now, put it in a modern analogy. Think of Wilmington as Pakistan, northwest Pakistan. And all of the freaking uh, Taliban and stuff are able to go there. Nobody can mess with them because they're in a place that you can't attack.
0: Right, the federally administered tribal area.
1: yeah. Yeah. And so they're able to go there and then go out. And strike, and if they do get pursued, they can easily go back into Wilmington, and you can't—the the regular militias can't take out Wilmington because mm. it's heavily defended, and it's got a regular. I, I thought it was ironic the—the the name of the British regiment that's with Craig is the 82nd. The 82nd, the 82nd I, Regiment. I it was yeah. 82nd <laughs> <80 seconds>. Regiment.
2: <strike.
1: laughs> 82nd Regiment of Foot. Um, now, from this point on, Craig does this insurgency, and not—not not really. I don't know if you, what you would call it. I don't know what we consider. Yeah, we're still trying
0: to figure out what to call this.
1: <laughs> yeah, because he's he's got basically he is the official government guy. Yeah. Because remember, it's Britain is fighting to keep America, so he's like from the official government guy, and he's you know outfitting the loyalists and to fight all these other insurgents who are the Patriots. All right. Now, what happens next? He starts doing all of these actions, and he, he demands everybody in the region that all North Carolina inhabitants need to swear loyalty to the king by August 1st. And before that, though, there's all of these little actions that go down. And he, what he does, he goes out and he sends out teams, uh, small teams, little groups to go take out all the leaders. And he, for example, he takes out some really famous leaders, like guys that signed a uh, Declaration of Independence, tracks them down and uh, and arrests them and puts them in a base, like one is, a, who was it? He, he, won, he didn't sign the of Independent, but he, uh, what was his name? Harnett. Harnett County is named after this right. guy. So Harnett, he arrests him, sticks him down in a, a building with no roof. It rains, there's mosquitoes, and he ends up, you know, getting sick and dying. Uh, another one that he arrested was, uh, let me look at the other one. Look at my notes here. Uh, John Ash. General John Ash. Uh, Craig put together a special team just to go find this guy. Well, he finds them. He's wounded when he gets captured. He also gets sent back into a prison that has crappy conditions, gets smallpox, and he dies. So he's doing these things where he's taking out the leaders. He, he's, he makes these special teams that go out in the middle of the night and basically track you down and capture you or kill you. One kind of – I thought was a kind of a really interesting story, and it is in Nothing But Blood and Slaughter, is the sniper mission. Mm. Now, what this is, this is a wild story. It's like a modern sniper mission. Because you got to figure back then they had flintlock muskets that were only good for 100 yards at most. If you had a rifle, it might be good for maybe 200 yards if you're lucky. So, but you know, usually nothing past 200 yards, you're not really going to be very effective. Well, Craig had formed this one team to go take out another militia captain, a guy named Love, James Love. Well, James Love is sitting in a basically a safe house, a tavern. Well, the, the British special team surrounds it. They attack it. They kill everybody inside, including Love. Kill them all.
2: Mm.
1: Now, a, one of his buddies. Oh, let me look up this guy's name. Thomas Bloodworth. Man, it's a heck of a name. Captain that's a good Thomas SF guy Bloodworth. name. Yeah. Good. Now, Bloodworth decided to get revenge. What he did was he he lived around the area, on the other side of the Cape Fear of Wilmington. He's down there when he hunted. He knew about this one giant sycamore tree that was hollow on the inside. And he found it by accident because he chased his dog in there trying to figure out what he's after. And he gets in there, and this tree is so huge that you can stand inside with your arms spread and never touch the sides. And so he decides, first off, he's going to make a special rifle that could reach Wilmington. So he ends up making an 80 caliber rifle. Now, That may seem big, but you gotta realize back then the calibers were big. Like a groundback yeah, musket with seventy-five caliber. <laughs> so that's not a big shocking thing. What is interesting is this guy created a conical ball. Now, if you know anything about the, the whole technology of, of how bullets and everything came about, the first really effective conical ball was a mini ball. Nobody had really thought about putting a point on a ball because why? Why? It didn't make any sense. Well, Bloodworth did it with this special rifle. And so do that. This 80-caliber rifle could reach out to the four or 500 yards. Now, he goes with him, his son, and a friend. And it might be either a friend or a slave. You don't know which one it is in the accounts. But either way, it's, it's a guy that's friendly to the family. So those three guys go to the hollow sycamore tree and then build – basically on the inside, they build firing platforms. And then they drill holes in the tree. So it lets out the smoke, and it lets also – so you can look through and see the target from a distance. All the holes are way above. They're like 10 feet up in the air, so if anybody looking around the tree, they wouldn't see it. They'd have to look up to see the holes. Well, July – it's actually July 4th. Mm. On the other side, basically right about where the USS North Carolina is today. So if you're familiar with Wilmington, think of where the U.S. is North Carolina. He's there. Yeah, so kind of uh, the... a
0: yeah, swampy it... area, but a little bit of an island. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, back then it was nothing but a swamp, but it had these giant sycamore trees. Wow. And uh, so he's there, and the distance to the dock is 400 yards. Well, the British, the 82nd guys, uh, when they weren't on duty, they'd line up and basically either buy booze or something like that because you know, it was the life of a soldier. So they're lined up. At this one shop that they know they can get booze and stuff. And while they're lined up, the Bloodworth guy takes his first shot. Booyah! Knocks a dude down. First off, it freaks everybody out. Like, what the hell just happened? Because it's so far away that you can barely hear the noise. And because he drilled those holes in the tree, all the smoke dissipates. You don't see it. Mm, so it's, it's like all of a sudden, like an act, like the finger of God just came down and took off the head of a guy. It's like, this, what the hell just happened?
0: Yeah, this is what, and what was the uh, the range on this?
1: About 400 yards.
0: Okay. So that's, so think of 400 yeah, yards. Yeah, back then, that's kind of getting something. Yeah. That's getting after it. Yeah. That.
1: You're you're, subs, you're subsonic no matter what. I mean, and it's black powder. So a black powder weapon from 400 yards away, you'd hardly hear that thing. Yeah. And inside a tree, you won't hear that thing. Mm. Now, he waits until an officer shows up because everybody's kind of panicking. Mm. They don't know what happened. An officer shows up on a horse. He shoots and hits the officer. Knocks him Naturally. off the
0: court. Yeah.
1: Holy I would. cow. Total <laughs> chaos. That's it, though. He right. only does two shots, and then he doesn't do anything else. Now, the British don't know where the shots are coming from. They send boats over, trying to find that anything on the swamp on the other side. Can't find nothing. Uh, they don't know where it came from. So they figured it was a fluke. Next day, those guys line up at the liquor store again. Booyah! Knocks another one down. Holy, that did, they, He did this for four days. Wow. Finally, the British sent a bunch of people onto the island to try and find them. They still didn't find them. Uh, what happened was uh, they, the British were there at night and the uh, Bloodworth guy decided, we really got to get away. And when they came out of the tree, there was a British guy just sleeping there. Well, they ended up tying him up and then getting away. So this is this was like a modern sniper mission yeah. done in the 18th century. So that was amazing. Now, that was all before craig's ultimatum craig's ultimatum was august 1st you swear loyalty to me or else i will do a punitive expedition basically he's going to end up being like sherman marching through georgia
0: yeah so he gives uh he he gives a uh uh you know promulgation to the low country basically you know know, whose side are you on yeah because what is
1: happening is the, the tide is turning all across eastern north carolina uh all of a sudden people realize, all right, Green isn't here. He's down in South Carolina. He marched south. Uh this guy in Wilmington, Craig, looks like he's winning. And so all the people sitting on the fence, they're like, well, we might as well go with the Craig guy. Mm. Well, they gotta they gotta do something about this. So the Patriots are doing everything they can trying to come up with, you know, a way to, to turn the tide, and they can't. So Craig is winning the hearts and minds.
0: Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a different narrative than what we often hear is, you know, after Guilford Courthouse, after sure. the period victory sure. of Cornwallis, you know, the you know, his uh, loyalist base did not materialize in Wilmington and then he just decided to to quit North Carolina and then go to Virginia and then and you just don't hear anything else, but that's not really what no. happened. It, this no. this place, you know, North Carolina really got lively.
1: Oh, yeah, big time. And the, it was yeah. a period of a uh, about six months, there was a fight like almost every day. It wow. was something happening every, constantly, and it was just it, nonstop. Now, one of Craig's better loyalist commanders is a guy that, uh, personally, I think he's as good as Marion. And if America had not won the war, this guy would have had schools and counties named after him. And that's a guy called Colonel David Fanning. Right. Now, Fanning is just like Marion. He's as good as Marion. He does exactly like Marion does, and he never loses. This guy's constantly winning. And the other thing is, he's not brutal. He's not a guy. He's able to many times win by convincing the the, the bank patriots to give up um, a great uh, a, near Fort Bragg, over near uh, at Carth- Car- uh, yeah, near Carthage. There's a place called House in the Horseshoe. There's signs leading to it and stuff. It's a neat little site because if you go there, the house is still there, and it's covered in bullet holes. You can see the original bullet holes, so it's kind of a neat little place to visit. And uh, Anyway, what Fanning did was he surrounded that house, and in there was one of the major leaders for the area, a guy called Colonel Philip Alston. And he surrounds the house, shoots the crap out of the house, Hmm. and finally what ends it was Alston's wife comes out and, and convinces Fanning, if we surrender, will you let us live? And he's like, yeah, sure. 'Cause you know, he knew that if you gave your word that you wouldn't fight, your word was a lot different than today. It was like you really wouldn't fight. If you gave your word you were gonna give up and never fight again.
0: So so well, uh so David Fanny was uh, you know, really the uh a corresponding, you know, big patriot to Craig. Is that kind of yeah, what yeah. okay.
1: Yeah, he's he's the number one probably the number one uh Loyalist militia leader of Craig's,
0: and then and friend and Francis Marin is down in South Carolina doing the same thing along with Sumter. and yeah. the others. Okay, got it. But yeah, but no, Fanny no. was kind of the big one of the big uh, Patriot guerrilla leaders. Not Patriot?
1: No, no, yeah. he's loyalist. Okay, he's loyalist. In other words, he's on the British side. Wow. Okay. That's why I said if the British had won the war, then gotcha. Be okay, school named after Fannie.
0: Yeah, I guess I always got that confused because uh, again, I'm going back to. The narrative, you think, you know, here in North Carolina, things were just kind of done, you know, after Uh, uh, Colonel Wallace left, but got it. Tracking. Please continue, sir.
1: Now, Fanning, Fanning did some ballsy raids. I mean, he did some gutsy shit. Like one time, a bunch of his men were captured, and the the Patriot militia decided, we're going to execute them. They're sentenced to be hanged, and they're going to be sentenced to be hanged in Chatham Courthouse. Well, Fanning rode in there with about 200 guys, Took the courthouse, took uh, out, know, freed his men, uh, and then basically, you know, took a bunch of uh, uh, prisoners and took them and sent them down to Wilmington, and you know, he, he ain't gonna hang his man; he's gonna raid the place. Another one, he raids the Hillsboro, which is up there near, uh, you know, Greensboro. When he raids it, he actually captures the governor of North Carolina, right? And takes them just to, to Wilmington. I mean, we're talking about That's a war. Yeah, yeah. This was a civil
0: break. war. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And now, even after he captured him, he had to fight constantly to get him to Wilmington. And they end up fighting a major battle. The battle is, uh, uh, let me look real quick here. I'm trying to figure out what uh, bah, my brain's not working. Um, uh, Lindley's Mill. Battle of Lindley's Mill was a major conventional battle fought, hmm. all trying to get back the governor of North Carolina. Fanning actually gets shot and wounded so bad that he's out for a little while. That but was, they uh, were able, able to get the governor out of there.
0: Rutledge was the governor,
1: right? Well, at that time, the guy who was uh, the governor, uh, man, I'm, I'm looking at my notes here. I'm trying to find real quick my notes.
0: I got you. My uh, bad. I'm, I'm. Now Rutledge was South Carolina. My bad. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, Rutledge is South yeah. Carolina. Yeah. Now what it is, is uh his name is I'm, I'm trying to figure is it Burke?
0: God, Sounds right. But it was the raid was at Lincoln Lincolnville or something like that.
1: Yeah, we're, yeah. Well, yeah. The raid um, was at Chatham. I mean, uh, the courthouse at uh, uh, Hillsborough, and there we go. And uh, see, he took. Uh, oh man, did he write? Oh, Burke is his name. He captures Governor Burke. Gotcha. And then yeah. because of that, the assistant governor has to take over, and so even more chaos is happening, and more people are siding with the British, with the loyalists, because it looks like they're they ain't going to win. There's nothing they can do right. Now, a few things happen to start turning this around. One is all of a sudden the patriots – I hate calling them Americans because whenever yeah. you say Americans versus British, it's very – it's it's not really true. This entire thing is all Americans. The only one that's not American is Craig. Everybody else is American. I mean, so it's a, a, Americans fighting for the British against Americans fighting hey. for – And uh,
0: Pat, this is a good place. I wanted to sneak in there with uh, with Craig's recruitment, and his recruitment was easy because if I if I understand my history, uh, there were a large uh, there were scores of Irish and uh, Scottish here in North Carolina uh, that were, or at least the Scots that were loyalists. Is that
1: yeah? That that, you have to go back, even you know, it's it's kind of a tangent here, but if if you you understand why. about four years before the Revolutionary War, there was a, a little war called the Regulator War. And the Regulator War was basically all these Scottish and Irish guys were pissed off because uh, the, the eastern part of North Carolina wasn't giving them any structure. There were no, no you know courthouses or sheriffs or anything, and they were getting pissed off. We're paying taxes, and you ain't doing jack. And so it ended up actually being a little civil war before the Revolutionary War ever happened. Mm. But why it's important was what side you were on. The regulators lost. They lost pretty badly. Uh, I think just recently there's a TV series on called uh, Outlander, and uh, and Outlander even talks that they're they're doing the regulator war. So if anybody actually seen that show, you got a little hint of the regulator war. Now, all the Scottish and Irish lost. When they lost, they had to swear a loyalty oath, That from now on, you never take up arms against the king, and if you're called upon, you will fight for the king. It's like, okay, we signed that loyalty oath. We're good to go. Okay, now flash forward. Flash forward. Revolutionary War comes along. Revolutionary War comes along. This is only four years later. They got a chip on their shoulder. They're pissed off. I mean, think of the people today that are pissed off about elections that happened just four years earlier. I mean, you got a chip on your shoulder. And so – they got this chip on their shoulder, and the minute they realized, holy crap, we can fight those guys in the east because they're all for the patriot side, they signed up because they did a loyalty oath anyway. It's like we're going to fight for the British because it's revenge. So, it really didn't have anything to do with love of Britain, because you always wonder why the heck would a Scottish guy fight for Britain, not after they what they did to them. Well, they mainly it's not about Britain; it's about revenge of revenge against the eastern colony, you know, the the rich guys in the east, you know, <laughs> who can who can do a uh, who caused all the pain to them.
0: Yeah, so they had uh you know they had some um, and the one I'm seeing here I didn't see before is really uh the war gave uh an ability for people to exact some measure of revenge that they might have yeah. had prior to the hostilities breaking out and so there's, there's old scores that can be settled. Uh Oh yeah, yeah. And so not just the politics.
1: a politics.
0: Yeah, so the, the the motivations were not just, you know, Britain and, you know, patriot but you know that guy, that guy did that, and just yeah, that's amazing. A lot, adds a lot of depth to that. Thanks for that.
1: No problem. Now back to how how did this Tory War end? Uh, first off, there was a bunch of serious, brutal, brutal freaking warfare going on. Uh, I'll give you just one little microcosm because mm-hmm. it was there was a there was, think of dozens and dozens of these happening. Let me just give you one little one. All right, there's something. That I found uh, when I was writing the uh, Nothing But Blood and Slaughter, and I called it the Piney Bottom Massacre. Mm. Now, where the massacre happened was just a little bit east of Holland Drop Zone on Fort Bragg. So, oh, no. what what it all started was a patriot group is riding through basically where Lillington is today, and they take a raft. And when they take a raft, the the raft, the guy who owns a raft, the ferry. His daughter is there, and the Patriot group, for some reason, because they're dickheads or something, I don't know, (laughs) they decided to steal, and they just said they stole this girl's cloth. All right. Now, what that really meant was women would save up and buy special cloth for their wedding dress so at least one time in their lives they look squared away. So what I think happened was they stole the cloth for her wedding dress. Now, after that, they parked themselves right there beside Holland Drop Zone. Now there was two churches back then that hated each other because each one is on the different uh, political spectrum. The Whig church, the the ones for the Patriot, was a church called Barbecue Church. A barbecue Church sits right about oh four miles from where I live right now. It's uh, in Harnett County. It's near you know Sanford, in between Sanford and Lillington. Now it's Barbecue Church still around today. You can see the church. The other church, and everybody should be pretty familiar with this one. Is Longstreet Church. Mm-hmm. And really, Longstreet yeah. Church is where the Longstreet Road came from. Yeah. Now, I know just recently they renamed the road and tried to split it into Long, comma, street, because they hmm. didn't want to be associated with the Civil War General called Longstreet. But it was never named after the Civil War General. It was named after Longstreet Church, which sat smack dab in a community of 50 houses called Argyle, Argyle, North Carolina. Funny. Now, it doesn't exist anymore, because when Fort Bragg came along, the town went away.
0: Yeah, in but your face, church, wokest... Yeah. Yeah. There the you church go.
1: <laughs> and the cemetery for the church is still there. You can go see Longstreet Church on Fort Bragg today. Now, um, so Longstreet Church was all loyalists. So you had loyalists, Longstreet Church versus Barbecue Church, Patriot. Well, this group that had gone through and stolen that girl's cloth, they were from Barbecue Church. They were getting back to Barbecue Church. Well, the uh, congregation of Longstreet Church found out where they were, and they attacked them in the middle of the night, and they just slashed it and hacking. it. Now, here's the – almost every single one got away except there was a boy. He was about 11 years old. He's on the back of one of the wagons, and he's there, and he gets left behind. And as the loyalists go riding through, they see the boy, and it's, you know, it's dark. They can't tell if it's grown up or not, and they end up hitting him so hard with a sword they don't cut his head in half and kill the boy. Now, when the barbecue church congregation shows up to clean up the mess, they find the dead boy, and that's it. Game on. It It is one of the most bloody, 14 days of bloodshed. Now, the guy who's leading them is a guy called Colonel Thomas Wade, and he goes out, and he literally finds these loyalists, all these congregations from the church, at their homes as them. Wow. I mean, he kills them in front of their children, fucking sets house on fire. I mean, he just goes to town, right? That's a, that's
0: a new level of church turf war.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, then what happens wow. is the Longstreet Church exacts revenge on the barbecue church and they just wow. murder the crap out of each other. And finally, in the end, Wade gets killed at his hell home and that kind of ends it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's one thing. Think of dozens of these happening everywhere. Yeah. And so what's happening is by a process of eliminating your enemy, the loyalists are losing a lot of their leaders. Mm. Now, let me talk about one guy. This guy is—I mean—he's—he's I, uh, he's probably the saving grace for several battles. The guy is called Colonel Robert Mabane, and Mebane, North Carolina, is named after the guy. But Robert Mabane—he is in the Battle of Lindley's Mill. He's in another battle called Brown Swamp. And the guy who's actually in charge of the battle kind of sucks. And Mabane is the one who actually knows what to do because he was in the regular army, and so he kind of takes over and ends up, you know, trying to get some sort of victory. Mabane is a guy who thinks like modern day special forces. Mm. After this, he starts creating small groups of twelve to fifteen men each. He called it the Company of Spies, because back then, when the term spy was, if you're you do recon, any type of Things like that, you're called a spy, and it's not like spy, James Bond spy. Think of more like lurps. So he creates these long-range guys, twelve to fifteen men each. They're all mounted, and they go out and they get information, come back and tell my Bay. Now, Bane goes one. creates basically what I call hunter-killer teams, twelve to fifteen men. They're given a list, like like the cards in in uh, Afghanistan. They're given a list. Of these men that you have to kill or capture, and they go out in the middle of the night and start taking down these loyalists.
0: All right, here's your deck of cards.
1: Wow. Oh yeah, and it's mm-hmm. it's like something right out of the modern warfare, mm-hmm. and uh, and so Mabane is a is a way thinking out of the box kind of guy. Um, he does. Uh, there's another guy called William Golson who works with Mabane not as famous, and he also does long range recon. He's mainly a recon guy. He doesn't send out hunter killer teams. But his reconnaissance was able to go out and find out things about about uh, uh, Craig down in Wilmington and everything else, and able to use it against him, like blocking off roads or destroying bridges or stopping any type of supplies coming in. Uh, unfortunately, Mabane didn't last long. Yeah, he was killed, and he was kind of killed because it, he was he did a dumb thing. Uh, it was it, it was a guy that he had a personal grudge against, a guy called Hightower, and he saw him as he, he was heading back to. Home and he saw this guy working in the yard and he went after him and they end up shooting each other and Mabane gets killed and so you know he, he died by this he, he just held off <laughs> just not, don't go after that guy but it was everything was personal you know back then yeah. everything was
0: personal. and uh, yeah and Mabane didn't see you know the end of the war didn't see you know this all end but yeah, yeah. that just describes just the like you said just the uh, the interning uh, aspect of this war, the war within the war. So you had the, you know, the uh, conventional war going on, and then, of course, this, uh, we, we're we not even, not sure what we're going to call this, uh, UW coin, uh, what have you, but yeah. everybody's doing everything. Yeah, and, and yeah, just so you have also a civil war, and then, yeah, absolutely, like you and said, gang nothing warfare, but blood basically and slaughter. Yeah, gang warfare. Yeah, gang by warfare. <laughs> war, war by all means.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it isn't like if you you can look at both sides and see how they both used things for example you know Craig was winning hearts and minds to the British side he right. was able to pull this off so yeah his recruitment
0: know? was easy and yeah. then uh for now I do you, I don't know if you've uncovered this but as far as the uh, propaganda aspect uh if were you know Tory or patriot were they did they utilize uh you know handbills uh you know oh, yeah uh, what it what what was the the media for their uh, propaganda, if well,
1: any? You gotta realize America was really kind of an amazing place w- w- compared to the rest of the world. Um, good good literacy rate literacy rate in America was between sixty and eighty percent. Now in the eighteenth century that's unheard of. I mean you, the literacy rate yeah. in England was about thirty percent, and mainly you know people that were rich and could go to schools knew how to read and write. In America, almost everybody knew how to read and write, everybody. Mm -hmm. And so the propaganda campaign and using the media was huge, even from the beginning. I mean, Paul Revere was famous for this. Uh, Paul Revere did the famous uh, uh, drawing of the Boston Massacre, and he just made up a bunch of bullshit that wasn't true. And, but it made everybody think, oh, my God, those British are gunning down people in you know, cold blood. And people believed it because of this, his drawings that Paul Revere did. Mm-hmm. And he put it in the news media and everything else. And everybody reads. Everybody gets newspapers. Everybody – in fact, that the amount of news travels so fast that something could happen in London, and you'd know about it within about – I'd I'd say within about uh, five days, you'd know about it in America. Mm-hmm. And you'd think, how the heck could that be possible? Well, They had these fast ships called packets, and their whole job was to deliver news quickly back and forth. Kind of like think of like an internet with a sail ship, you know, everybody used that. They'd wait on the docks and actually get the newspapers first, so they could be the first one to read the news and find out what's going on in Europe. Anyway, the, the you're talking about the <laughs> psyops campaign, yeah. Is, there was pamphlets, and there was all leaflets and everything. You'd have those up. It was bills. you nail bills to trees and right, stuff like bills. that. Yeah. Um, but mainly, it was just the newspapers. Mm. The, the media. And, and they were both biased as hell. There was... I mean, you're talking about fake news. Geez, these guys were kings of fake news. Mm. They would make up whole stories that you wouldn't believe. You know? And uh, Some and of the it, stories they told are still around to this day. People right. believe it because it was so good. <laughs> and, and they uh, had... Uh...
0: You know they could sway the target, the target population. Uh, had uh, I mean, as far as like Craig, uh yeah. he, that no doubt he used. Uh, you know, you know, not only geographically where he was because there was a, a large amount of uh, Tories and loyalists, but but uh, I, I'm sure he actually you know he, he tapped into that resource uh, to Oh try yeah, we well, had you
1: know, his, the Wilmington paper was called the Royal Gazette. Uh, and they would print all sorts of stuff. You gotta realize an army when it moved, you had a a train a, a baggage train that was miles and miles long, but no army would ever move without a printing press. You'd have a printing press. I mean, you, you because you got to get news out. You got to get this news out and propaganda and everything. And so you'd travel with your own printing press. You'd have your own little news section going with you. You know, basically was like a, I'm trying to think of what the modern equivalent would be. Uh, like, well, think of a. Uh, uh, Who's the guys that do the, the newspaper in Europe? Um, stars I and my stripes. My brain's not working. What's that? Stars and stripes. Same stars and stripes. Yeah. So they had their own stars and stripes traveling with. Them. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> and uh, but yeah, yeah, the propaganda went out there. So it was it was number one deeds. In other words, they would watch and see what you did. In other words, if you went into a farm, you killed everybody there. Well, obviously, you're a dickhead, and nobody's going to fight for you. So <laughs> Craig went out. Now Craig did do that. He did do that punitive expedition. On August 1st, 1781 came around, and th- what had happened was because of all these bloody fights and because of taking out the leaders of the loyalists, all of a sudden everybody who was on the fence is still on the fence. And so Craig comes out and decides, I'm just going to lay waste. And he does a Sherman-style hmm. march to Newburgh, destroying everything in his path. And unfortunately, that did not make yeah. him get a lot of friends. It was yeah. the opposite now. And on top of that, you also had people, like I said, you had uh, success stories. Yeah, I got another success yeah. story. This guy this guy is fighting for the Patriots, for the Americans. Uh, his name is Captain James C. Williams. But everybody knows him as Shea Williams. And the reason he's known as Shea Williams is because the guy had uh, basically a, a split lip, on palate. And so when he pronounced his middle name, James C. Williams, he'd say James Shea Williams. So Everybody just called him Shea Williams. This dude was another thinker way outside the box. He had three platoons. One was on a horse. One would double up on the horse. And when you got to the battle, you'd jump off and fight off foot. And then one was on foot. And so these three elements worked together as like a quick reaction force. And they would ride quickly, get somewhere, you know, and then hit Craig from the rear. Or if it was like Craig was attacking like a bridge or something, he'd come up and hit him from the sides of the flanks before they even know what the heck happened. So he was like a quick reaction force from hell, but he was able to get in there and get out and uh, arrive quickly with basically three platoons of men. And and so he was, you know, all of this is going against Craig. In fact, Craig, he's in New Bern, destroying crap left and right. And finally he gets word, George Washington realized he's about to lose North Carolina. Hmm. And he, he realizes I can't lose North Carolina. Uh, Green is in South Carolina, but nobody's in North Carolina. No continental officer. So he detaches Matt Anthony Wayne uh-huh. into North Carolina. Now, when Craig hears about this, he decides I got to get out of New Bern and get back to Wilmington because I can't be caught out in the open with a conventional army. I got to you know get back to my roots. Got to get back to my base. So he stops his punitive expedition. Now, what unfortunately, I, well, I should say, fortunately, I guess he heard Anthony about Stony Point. So. <laughs> yeah, Anthony Wayne didn't get to North Carolina. He ended yeah. up being diverted to he had to go fight Yorktown, which was a good thing because Yorktown yeah. was yeah. what finally stopped the. You know, this is Cornwall. like
0: uh, summer of eighty one.
1: Yeah, we're talking that that with the last one, we're talking September.
0: Okay, yeah, September eighty one. Got
1: it. Yeah, so the summer of eighty one is a bl- is when all this Tory War is going on. Yeah, what finally ends it is when Cornwallis gets captured. So in October, October
0: yeah October 81
1: Yeah when he is captured Craig's out on his own uh there's no support and
0: yeah, he is last,
1: ordered uh, he's ordered to leave wilmington yeah he so, the, want
0: yeah, and, he so, so want after uh just correct me if I'm wrong after um uh, Colonel Wallace surrendered at Yorktown that was basically the last british field army in in the south
1: Well, well no you had you had uh what happened was the british had Charleston, okay. had Wilmington, they had Savannah.
0: Okay, yeah, and they're, what just, happened they're bottled was, up. Yeah.
1: You know, well, they can't really do anything because they're surrounded by all the Patriot militias and Continentals. Well, the British decided to collapse it into just Charleston. Gotcha. So they collapse Savannah into Charleston, and then they tell Craig, you got to get out of Wilmington and get to Charleston.
0: Mm.
1: And then Charleston, that uh, Wilmington fall, uh, gets withdrawn around. Oh, I don't know. I want to say, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think they it's November or December of 1781. And then Charleston finally, they get withdrawal out of Charleston in December of 1782. And that's when the last British force leaves the South. Right. They're still British in North Carolina until 17, I mean, uh, uh, they're still British in New York until 1783. Right. But yeah, yeah. The When, when Cornwallis lost, that's when the British finally That's realized Craig, yeah. all right we got it we got a sue for peace let's make a deal Because before that they wouldn't make a deal yeah so this now, this
0: whole six months uh, plus where uh, major James Craig is is running amok and and he's uh, fomenting, uh you know at that grassroots level of the, like the last the last vestiges of loyal uh, yeah uh, fighting power you know it, it kind of just it peters out there, and that was it. Well,
1: it, 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 he, he's still going strong until he's ordered to leave. Okay. Because he's still he's still putting up the fight uh, up until he's ordered to leave, and he didn't want to leave because he knew if he left, all those loyalists they're screwed. Yeah. He, try- I mean, he even tries to get a lot of them away. He puts them on ships and everything. You know, he, he gets as many away as he can, um, but, uh, but the rest are. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah,
0: and this is this is the rest of the story because you know, like I said, I, I've um, I thought I haven't read as much as you have and studied this area as much as you have, but but I, I knew uh, you know the wave tops, and I just never knew about this. This is just completely passed over, especially you know, uh, you know, I grew up in in the South, going to school, but I never got this you know rest of the story. And I think uh, what you're showing is there is uh, just a, a treasure trove of of just uh, this new, probably untapped information that we had, that we know we're learning about, especially when it comes to irregular warfare. And yeah,
1: you know, I, I, this I've aspect never, is fascinating. Like I said, I, I, this all came about just from me doing kind of a boring little hobby of reading pension accounts while doing Robin Sage. And all of a sudden I discovered all this. It's like, holy cow, what am I looking at? And I tried to find, did anybody else ever write about this? And the closest I could come to was some some guy around eight. No, yeah, about eighteen ninety something wrote up a little thing about uh, Wilmington and the we'll fight around it. Other than that, I've never. And it was just a short article in a magazine. It wasn't even like a real book. And so other than that, I've never seen anybody talk mm. about what I've discovered through the pension accounts. Yeah, you know the guys who were there, the first person accounts, the guys who were there said, "I did this. I did that." You know, the, I talked about the uh, Hunter Killer teams. I've, I read the two pension accounts from the guys that were on the Hunter Killer teams.
0: Yeah, that's what's fascinating. Is uh, you know, if you you know, if you're uh, listening to the Pinelander podcast, and, and you know, and you live in uh, the Carolinas, you can, these are places you can go to. And, and oh yeah, uh, you, you can go check out all these all these sites that uh, Pat's been talking about. Uh, oh yeah, you know, if you were to pick up Volume Three of his uh, Nothing But Blood and Slaughter, you know, you get a little bit more background information. Uh, but yeah, this and there's uh, a lot of these sites. You know, I know I've been to Morse Creek. I don't think Morse Creek is absolutely. It's outside of what you were just talking about. Oh right yeah,
1: yeah. Morse Creek was but, um, uh,
0: places like that. You can get. You can yeah. hit.
1: Now, what's fascinating is it. Like I said, certainly you got Long Street World. Church. Oh yeah, yeah. Long Street Church. <laughs> you can uh, see House that? House the horseshoe. You got House the horseshoe, the building with the bullet holes in it. Another one is Elizabeth. Yeah. In Elizabeth, there's a place called Tory Hole. Yep. And Tory <laughs> Hole was basically what happened was. Uh, I'm uh, glad you brought the-
0: that up. I was going to ask you.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Okay, what happened to Tory Hole? All right, check it out. Now, a guy, a, a loyalist, a guy for the British, Colonel John Slingsby. Slingsby raids Cumberland County Courthouse mm. and captures a bunch of militia leaders. And he does horrible crap to them. Like one he stakes out this one guy who's a captain in the swamp and lets the bugs eat him wow i mean that's that's the, you know, we're talking like medieval kind of stuff. well, what happened was he's in Elizabethtown with a bunch of his uh his group, his men. well, all these uh patriots who the, he has wronged come together. And it was just this ad hoc unit. It wasn't like an official army unit or militia. It was just all these guys came together and said, you know what? We need to kill this guy. And so what they did was they hit Elizabethtown at night, end up pushing the Tories down into that low ground, and then slaughtering. Uh, There was about 15 of them were killed in this low ground. They couldn't get out of it. And that low ground became known as Tory Hole. Uh, Slingsby, the guy who did the raid on Cumberland County, he's killed Uh, Fanning Remember, I told the Fanning's actually a right. squared away. He, he warned Slingsby just a couple days before, like, dude, you're like in the middle of this town. You're kind of exposed, and you pissed off everybody. You might want to put some guards out, and he ignores them. <laughs> mm. And he's getting killed because of it.
0: Yeah, they just, yeah that it. was it. That was all she wrote. And uh, now that was, yeah. uh, I believe, and I always mispronounce this, Robeson, Colonel Robeson, that uh, it was uh, the, the Patriot commander.
1: Yeah, yeah. And when the namesake I
0: said, of the county, yeah.
1: Commander's kind of an odd term. It was literally a bunch of guys getting together and go, Let's do this. <laughs> Let's and do Robinson this. <laughs> do the highest rank <laughs> so gets credit. That's uh, true. It, was, it was yep. officer it said officers and refugees. Yeah. I think another one that was kind of fascinating is uh is what let me find the name of it here. Uh, I was there, wondering there about go. that.
0: Tory hole though. It's uh
1: Oh oh yeah, yeah.
0: This was also in the summer of eighty one, so this was the you know, during this uh, Tory oh. war that this happened.
1: Yeah. 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 That, that was, uh, 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 that would have been Tory Hole was August, I think of 1781. Yeah. 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 I I tell you another one that was kind of fascinating because uh, uh, one of the biggest supply bases was a place called Coles Ferry. And Coles Ferry was located just down river from Beatty's bridge and Coles Ferry and Beatty's bridge are both, smack dab in the middle of Camp McCall mm. where the river, the bridges cross the river. <laughs> and I thought that was neat. Was like, hey, look, it's Camp McCall. Really? And there was a couple of raids on those supply bases, too, by the so Loyalists. So,
0: like, Drowning Creek area.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I just, I thought it was wild that, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to. Whenever I, I find an incident, I try to pick it out on the map, and that in itself is an amazing bit of freaking intel because I got to use old, ancient maps of North Carolina and try to find these old names that don't exist anymore. Yeah, and no I'm, doubt. oh, there it is. Oh, there's the ferry. There's the bridge, and so I found out it was an abandoned Camp McCall, and I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: That is, I mean, just just the amount of history that we have here that a lot of people don't know about. You know, oh yeah. Most people just consider you know the big you know uh, big battles, but yeah. uh, but then the, all these and that's what made uh, this war really is that what I'm hearing from you is all these little small skirmishes that, yeah. that made up this this bloody little skirmishes. These aren't you know gentlemen yeah. conducts here. These these were terrible.
1: It's it's medieval warfare. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and even you know the name of my other book, but nothing but blood and slaughter. That fitting that title. Term, Yeah, the title was from General Green. General Green arrived in North Carolina to take over the Continental Army, and he was shocked at the bloodshed. And he said, uh, you know, this area is nothing but blood and slaughter, and if it continues, it will depopulate the country. (laughs) So I thought that was a great name for a book, (laughs) Nothing But Blood and Slaughter. No doubt. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that's I mean, that's a good walkthrough as far as that, uh, that war, the Tory war. So I'm just calling it, I'm, I'm making this up on the spot, is a war, you know, within a war. And uh, so the summer of 81. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, you know, so I think, so what's next for you? Like, I know you're researching this uh, and, uh, you know, you're busy, but what's, what's the next project for you? I, I would imagine this.
1: Well, it's. This is writing project. I I, I have so many fires in different pots. <laughs> By the way that pinging you keep hearing I think it's my wife keep wanting to talk to me. I don't know. I'm ignoring it. Anyway, <laughs> you're going to get um, yeah,
0: yeah, you're in yeah, trouble.
1: I got I've got a uh you know, I'm doing this. I'm always writing. Always. Yeah. But besides writing, I'm also uh, the I'm I'm trying to get a second ferret armored vehicle up to snuff. And uh, so I'm working on that and I use that during Robin Sage. And then uh,
0: on people,
1: and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm also, you know, just uh, you know, basically, I'm, I'm I do run a farm, so yeah. it's always pain in the butt trying to keep the farm up. So I got peach trees and bees and everything else. So I got irons in every fire, <laughs> Yeah. So what is next? I don't know. I'm just hoping I live to see the end of this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I hope I hope that uh, I'm sure you will. I mean, uh, I'm sure you got another <laughs> couple of decades in you. And, and I would, uh, I'm, I'm very much interested in what you're going to do with this treatment of it, uh, you know, and and what I could do is, uh, you know, look look back what you've already written. Like I said, nothing but blood and slaughter. Yeah. I know it covers that, but this this is you're enabling, you're, you're going to do a deeper dive yeah. into to the Tory War, and uh, and try and, to trend, yeah. and I'm
1: also I'm trying to punch in the modern terms for what they were doing back then. Yeah, because. You know, no matter what, tactics are tactics, and the only thing that changes is the weapons.
0: Absolutely,
1: that's it. Other than that, it's it's the way that an army today or a, a small force attacks today is the same way the Maccabees attacked, in, you know, Israel in, in BC. Yeah. You know, the same way that the Romans attacked the Carthaginians. And there is tactics are always the same. The only thing that changes is the weapons. That so now you get to stand back a little bit, or maybe you have to cover, or maybe you have to camouflage. But the tactics themselves of flanking and you know, every you know, infiltrate, defilate, and all that is is still the same. Nothing really changes.
0: No doubt, and that's uh, that's always a good uh, you know dig uh, dig to, to go back to the doctrine. The doctrine we have, you know, it's uh, yeah. it's it's taken centuries uh, to make, and you know, with uh, I think it was uh, Basil Liddell Hart said, you know, with two thousand years of military history, you know, at your uh, reach, uh, there's no excuse for mistakes, you know, in, in yeah. some sense. I mean, we have all those examples of how it was done. And what a great example that we have here, too, that you can, uh, I mean, I think you, you can, it, it's inexhaustible. You know, there's, there's so many examples in there to be used. But, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Pat, thanks for taking time out of your day today. Uh, no if you problem. guys didn't know, uh, Patrick O'Kelly, uh, he's the author of Triple Canopy, uh, Warrior's Journey from Grenada to Iraq. It's available wherever where you get your books. Uh, Be Cool and Do Mischief, which is Francis Marion's orderly book from 1775 to 1782. Uh, which, uh, uh, and then, of course, what we've talked a lot about today is uh, his other book. It's four volumes, uh, Nothing But Blood and Slaughter. So those are all available. Uh, you can uh, probably go back and listen to some of these other a podcast that we've, I think, two or three that Pat has already done uh, yeah. as we are doing about the same topic. But, Pat, thanks for coming on today. And, uh, hey, good luck, and uh, you, hopefully you get enough time to do your research with all these yep. other topics, you, all these other tasks you got going on.
1: <laughs> yep. In between raids and Finland, I'll be writing.
0: <laughs> right on. Thanks, brother.
1: All right. No problem. All right.
2: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Pinelander Podcast. If you enjoy our unique content, please consider supporting our sponsors. Soft News, providing special operations news from around the world. It's where Paul and I go to keep abreast of what's going on within the soft community. Check them out at soft.news. Blacksmith Publishing, been serving the warrior class since 2013. They have great titles written for warriors by warriors. If you're looking for excellent reference material or just want to unwind with a great novel, be sure to check out the bookstore located at blacksmithpublishing.com. If you're looking for some cool Pinelander apparel, head on over to the General Store located at pinelandergeneralstore.com. That's all one word, pinelandergeneralstore.com. Have a great selection of shirts, hats, jackets, sweaters, stickers, patches, artwork, and a whole lot more. Check out the store at pinelandergeneralstore.com. If you're interested in helping develop our country's next generation of warriors, please consider donating to the American Agogi Project. The mission of the project is to foster an environment producing able-bodied citizen warrior men of fine character. And we'll be officially launching the project in 2023 in celebration of uh, Blacksmith Publishing's 10th anniversary. Until our next meeting, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. To each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. May God continue to bless Pineland.